Take with me in your Bibles this morning, and I trust with expectancy you can turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, and we're continuing our thoughts in this series that we have embarked upon. We come to conclude this series this morning, but as we have studied through this chapter, we have done so against that backdrop of what we believe to be true about God being the single most important thing in our lives. And I believe that as we have come to this study, God has brought us to it at a very timely point in our lives and indeed in our fellowship. For we must comprehend this truth, that what we believe to be true about God is the most important thing in our lives. For as we have noted already in previous occasions, what we believe to be true about God affects every other area of our lives. It affects how we speak, it affects how we act, it affects how we react to things in our lives and things in this world, and it affects how we interact with the unbelieving world around us. And of course, as we come to consider this truth of what we believe to be true about God, we've also identified that key battle each one of us are involved in. And that key battle is the battle against unbelief. That is ultimately the battle which absorbs our energy, our time, as we live our lives here below. For unbelief is not just found in unbelievers, but sadly also, more often than should be the case, unbelief is also found in believers. It is seen, of course, when unbelieving believers come to trial, to trouble, and to tragedy. For it's seen in their response, that response invariably being to give in, to give up, or to give off. It's also seen when unbelieving believers are called to live for Christ in difficult days, in dark days, even in dangerous days. And the response is to lie. To cry, or indeed even to deny their Saviour and their Lord. And all of these responses, as we view them in the lives of those around us, and indeed identify them within our own lives, are known because of an incorrect view of God. And so the elder, the pastor, the teacher, the preacher has one sole responsibility before God, I believe, and that is to confront the unbeliever and to challenge the believer. Seeking to instill within both categories of individuals a correct, a scriptural, and indeed an unmovable view of who God is. And so as we've entered into this chapter, we've noted that a right view of God only comes about because of a right understanding of everything that God has done in Christ for us. That's what the writer of the Hebrews takes up the first 18 verses, summarizing, explaining, and delving into, seeking to cement that understanding, that correct view of God in our lives, and against the correct and right understanding of what he has done in Christ for us. Oh, as we come to consider all that we've looked upon, how that we've seen Christ offered of himself one sacrifice for sin forever, how he made that new and that living way as he consecrated within the veil, even by his own blood, 
come and we marvel with the hymn writer, oh wonders of all wonders, that God loved me. And the Bible tells us very clearly that God did love me. God did love you. And he loved us so much that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. And understanding this, and remember, knowledge or knowing something is far new, far different than understanding it. And in all things, as we come to the Word of God, we want not only to have knowledge of what the Bible teaches, but we want to understand what the Bible teaches. That is, we want to rightly and correctly apply it to our lives. And so, as we understand, as we apply the scriptural truth of what God has done in Christ for us, we have noted then as we've entered into verse 19 in this passage of scripture that will complete today the three positive responses or reactions that should be seen in our lives. We note it first of all in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. And so we reminded ourselves of correctly understanding what God has done in Christ for us and applying that to our lives will ensure that we and of ourselves draw nigh unto God. We noted that great truth that is unchangeable. You are as close to God this morning as you desire to be. And so as you understand more and more of what God has done in Christ, may it be true that more and more you have that desire in and of yourself to draw near unto God, not just to enter in, but to draw near, to enjoy that nearness and closeness of relationship and fellowship with him. We saw as well, not only will we draw near, but in verse 23, we'll hold fast without wavering the profession of our faith. And that is despite it being perhaps the best choice in our eyes, or perhaps the most understandable choice in our eyes, or even the easiest choice in our eyes to give up or to give in, we will hold fast to all that God's word commands us to do, even in difficult days and not in dark days. And then we came to verse 24, where's the evening passed, and we considered, or we looked at this, let us consider one another. That is, having thought one of another, how does the way I speak, how does the way I act, how will even my action in this way or that way, how will it impact upon the lives of others, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those whom I identify with in a local fellowship setting just like ours, how will my ways, my words, affect others? Let us consider one another. We noted that that was a three-dimensional view of the Christian life. The Godward aspect, the drawing near to God. And then there is the inward aspect, that desire, or that uh, indeed decision to hold fast even those things that God has revealed to us and cemented in our lives, we're going to hold them fast and then the outward profession of our faith, that is how we interact with other believers, we consider them we provoke them, not in a negative way but in a positive way, seeking to get the very best out of them for the glory of God and so as we come to conclude this series, I remind you that you are now responsible before God for all that you've heard in this series. And God one day will hold you responsible for not only rightly applying the truth that he has revealed in his word through this study, but also in your ability 
and your opportunity to rehearse it to others. For God has given us these blessings not to hold on to for ourselves, but rather to share with others. For us, Paul wrote to Timothy, he desired believers who would be able to teach others also. And so as we come to the Word of God today and as we draw to a conclusion this mini-series and move on to other things as the Lord allows us to do, God will one day hold us responsible for all that His Word has revealed in this study. And for how we have handled his word and indeed applied it to our walk as we live for him here below. And so we come to verse 25 this morning. And it reads in the word of God like this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Now we do end our study here, the verse 25. We may return to this chapter in future days as the Lord allows to consider the remainder of this chapter. For as you leave verse 25 and enter into verse 26, you come to a very sad and indeed disturbing, even sobering end to this chapter. And what I would say to you as we enter into this study today in verse 25 is we must realize that verses 19 through 25 are a bridge to everything that verses 26 through 39 deal with. And as the writer of the Hebrews here unpacks to us in this chapter everything that, what, everything that should be found if we have that right view of God is in existence in our lives, then the remainder of the chapter deal with those who never establish or never live out that right view of God. They never respond positively as we have been exhorting one another to do in verses 9, 19 through 25. Those who are found in verses 26 through 39 never respond positively to the exhortations that are given. Oh yes, they hear the truth about what God has done in Christ. They may at some level even give a head assent to it, but it never changes their heart and it never affects their lives. It's never seen demonstrated in their living of the truth and therefore they find themselves labeled as an apostate, labeled as truly an unbeliever. And therefore in these verses it serves as an eternal memorial of those that we never wish to be. Rather, we desire to be those who positively respond to the exhortations that we have looked at. And so, as we come to the Word of God, it's just a further reminder that we are responsible for the Word that God has revealed and for rightly applying that in our lives. And so we come to consider verse 25 this morning, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And what does this verse teach us? It teaches us one key truth about, above everything else. It teaches us simply this, the veracity of our profession, the value of our positive actions and responses to the exhortations they're proved in no other place than the local church. And if we are truly what we say we are, 
And if we are responding to the word of God the way that we would like other people to believe we're responding to the word of God, then they will be seen, demonstrated. And our actions in the local church in our commitment to the local church and in our thoughts and words about the local church. And whether these three things, these let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider one another, whether they are real in our lives or not, is all laid bare for everyone to see by how we treat the local assembly and the place that the local assembly has in our lives. Remember, we're dealing here with a spiritual truth. This whole chapter is against the backdrop of a spiritual change that has been affected in us as we've come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and repentance of sin toward God. We've come and experienced for ourselves that new birth in Jesus Christ. The old nature has passed away. All, th all things are become new in Christ. And so as that change has been affected in us, a spiritual change, we don't change our appearance, we don't change the colour of our hair, the colour of our eyes, our fingerprint doesn't change. There's nothing outwardly that should be seen apart from, of course, a manifestation of the true joy that is within but nevertheless, we're speaking very much of that inward change, what God has done in us, that spiritual truth of knowing God and being at peace with God. And so as we come to consider verse 25, understand that once again we're dealing with the spiritual aspect of the local assembly. God desires even the spiritual fruit to be seen in our lives. And so our commitment to the local church is not seen in how many meetings we attend. It's not seen in how much we give to the church. And it's not seen in how many practical hours we labor or invest in the buildings and property belonging to the church. It's seen in our spiritual dealings with the fellowship of believers that is the identifiable local body of Christ here, the church that we profess to be a part of. And so you might say, well, what do you mean? Hebrews here is clearly saying to us, we're not to forsake coming to meetings. Surely then it matters how many meetings we come to. Well, in response to that, you're not going to be surprised that I'll encourage you to attend as many meetings as you can. That you, as much as possible, should not be absent from even the publicized meetings of this fellowship. And as pastor of the church, I delight to see people coming time after time and being faithful in their attendance in the house of God as far as they're able to. But as we come to consider this passage today, and as we've done so, of course, uh, right along as we've studied through this passage of Scripture together, we must be true to the Word of God. And therefore, it is true to say that this passage deals nothing with our frequency of attendance in the church, in the meetings of the local church. It's not at all the emphasis that the writer of the Hebrews is placing here, nor indeed God, the Holy Spirit, as he moves the writer of the Hebrews to pen these words. No, simply understand this, that attending meetings and being faithful in your attendance at meetings is in fact a byproduct of everything that God's word is teaching here. For a person who truly understands what this verse is communicating and applies it in their own heart and life will not, in and of their own choice, miss a meeting of the local church if they have that right view of God in their lives. 
It's a byproduct of all that the apostle is dealing with here. And so as we come to understand what God's word is communicating to us this morning, let us do so considering three quick thoughts. And the first one is simply this, the truth commanded. The truth commanded. And that's fine for us at the very beginning of the verse, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. So seeking to shine a light on what this verse means, what God is truly communicating to us, let us consider the truth commanded, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Are we assembled here this morning? What would your answer be? If you were asked as to uh, an affirmative answer or not, would you say yes, we're assembled, or no, we're not? Well, to properly understand that, I, I suggest to you we have to understand what the word assembled means. Come back to 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. This is a small phrase that's found for us in verse 1 that communicates the truth of what being assembled together as a local body of believers truly means. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 1 it says, Now we beseech you there, or we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. And that is the explanation of what it means biblically to assemble ourselves together. It means that we gather unto him. And it's exactly the same Greek phrase that's used in both verses. It's just translated a little bit differently in both instances. But nevertheless, it has that same understanding that as we come together, it's not just the fact that we're here found in the same building. It's not just the fact that we're here found in the same location. No, it is the fact that in our hearts is the same desire to gather ourselves together unto God. And so as we come together this morning, I ask again, are we truly assembled here today? Are we coming to this place of worship with that desire in our hearts personally to gather unto him just as God's word communicates to us that we should? If you were asked to write on a piece of paper why you came to church this morning, would you write that affirmative statement, I have come to this place to gather myself with my other brothers and sisters in Christ unto God. For that is what the, the writer of the Hebrews is exhorting us here not to forsake, not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together unto God. Oh, we are to come together in a way then that communicates to each other and to the unbelieving world outside that we share and have in common a right view of God. You and I can only gather ourselves on together unto God as we understand more and more what God has done in Christ for us and as we positively respond to these exhortations draw near unto God, as we hold fast and as we consider one another having nothing between us and another brother or sister in Christ but rather coming together with one heart one mind as a profession of our right view of God in our lives we are gathering unto God that's what it means to assemble ourselves. And that's what we are exhorted not to forsake. So we have the truth that's commanded. And notice secondly the truth that's revealed. For the writer goes on and says, as the manner 
of some is. As the manner of some is. Can I be bold enough to rewrite scripture here in 2020? And simply say that this verse could quite rightly say. As the manner of many is. As the manner of many is. For what we are brought face to face here with is the reality of those who gather with the wrong intentions, the wrong motives. And this is the complete antithesis of having the right view of God. And therefore it's something to be avoided by that one who would seek to instill and apply a right view of God consistently in their life. And in their practice of faith, living it out before men and women, other brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what we should avoid. Gathering ourselves together with the wrong intentions, with the wrong motives. So again, as we gather this morning, I ask this question, are we assembling together today? Not just in a building together. But are we with one heart and one desire gathering ourselves together unto God? Perhaps it would be better to ask the question, when was the last time that we assembled together? When was the last time that we came together and no one had a wrong motive, no one had an impure intention, no one had a selfish agenda, no one had a root of bitterness, no one had a desire to cause division? When was the last time that we assembled together? Oh my God, help us. You see, this verse has nothing to do with attendance. It's nothing to do with appearing in a church building. But it has everything to do with motive and intent as we come together before God. And the truth of the matter is that the person who one day doesn't physically show up at the meetings had made a purposeful choice long ago to depart from God in their gathering. And on one day they suddenly decide not to be here bodily, but long ago in their heart, long ago in their mind, they departed from the scriptural truth of assembling unto God. And you and I are simply seeing the fruit of a root that gestated for many days, many weeks, many months, perhaps even many years, when they feel to grow in the Lord, whenever they feel with a pure heart and with pure motives and with pure intent to come to the assembling of the saints to gather unto God. I know we lament and mourn when people don't show up, but the truth is that for many of those people who don't show up, their hearts have departed from God long ago. Oh, the writer of the Hebrews is simply imploring us all, don't let that be you. Oh, have that right view of God. Positively respond to the exhortation of drawing near. Positively respond to the exhortation of holding fast. Positively respond to the exhortation to consider one another. And don't forsake the assembling, the gathering of ourselves together unto God with a pure heart. And with a true mind. Not only then do we have the truth revealed, but let's come thirdly to the truth explained. Before he goes on and says, And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, understanding this passage rightly in its context helps us to understand that this was written to Hebrew believers. 
and the days immediately before Jerusalem was ransacked and overthrown, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And no doubt the Jewish believers, as was even Jews at large, were reading the writing on the wall in those days. They knew that the political environment, the political landscape was not favourable to them. Uh, the Romans and Titus, etc. would very soon rage uh, in against them and would overthrow them and would do away even with anything uh, connected to the Jewish system, to the Jewish belief. And therefore, as the writer of the Hebrews writes to Hebrew Christians, those who have their roots in the Jewish um, system of religion and nevertheless come to that personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's writing to them in days whenever they were fraught with danger, days of difficulty, days whenever it was no doubt dangerous to be known as a Hebrew. And also the exhortation comes even in perilous times to such believers, don't forsake gathering together unto God. Even as you see that day approaching, that day whenever perhaps there's going to be an overthrowing, there's going to be a turning of the tide, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. But we're coming to it today, of course, 2,000 years later, living as we do in the last of the last days, and our reactions to things as we come to them must be consistent with the Word of God as we're exhorted to do. That leads us on to something we're not going to consider this morning, but we will no doubt come to it in our own hearts and our own minds personally. But we must also come to it corporately. For we must ask ourselves, in these last number of months, have our reactions to things that have occurred in society, have they fallen short of what God has expected of us? We must weigh that up. We must evaluate that. Because in perilous times, in dangerous times, the writer of the Hebrews exhorts the people of God to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. And we must answer that for our generation. Have we fallen short of what God expected in these last number of months? But nevertheless, the day is approaching an even greater day, of course, that Scripture foretells of and Scripture teaches. And that is, of course, the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ, first for the church, and then, of course, seven years later, in judgment upon the world. And these two guiding truths that we're reminded of in Scripture over and over again are simply this. The two guiding truths that must shape us and must mold us as believers are the truth that Christ did come the first time and, of course, the truth that he's coming again. I know that we would be right. Friend, this morning the truth about his coming again should change the way that we live. It should change the way that we talk. It should change the way that we gather ourselves together as an assembly of God. Knowing this, that the day of his return for his own draw ever nigh. No, I said it before many times but my ministry here has one sole objective for you and that's to equip you better to stand before God I know that God would help us all to see that fulfilled for I will have failed if I do not equip you more in my time here to stand before God at the day whenever he calls us to be with him 
Well, we looked at it already in 1 John, but in 1 John, the chapter 2, we have this great truth given to us in the verse 28, and now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. And not be ashamed before him at his coming. And oh friend, this morning, if we do anything in our lives, we should prepare ourselves for that day whenever we shall stand before him. And oh, upon that day that we would not be ashamed for the motives that are found in our heart, for the words that our mouths have said, for the thoughts that our minds have thought, for the acts that our hands have done. May God help us all to be rightly prepared so that we will not be ashamed. Because that day is coming and ever draweth nigh. And God is seeking to communicate his truth into our lives so that in a timely manner we can be prepared and with confidence and assurance and indeed with no shame stand before him in that day. And so we come back to the phrase that we haven't mentioned. It's found there in the verse 25. Exhort one another. You know, it's not just my job. And it's not just Bill's responsibility to make sure everybody is doing what they should be doing and acting the way they should be acting and talking about one another in the way that they should be talking about one another. It's every believer's here. Who calls this their church home? It is your responsibility to exhort and to encourage other brethren and sisters in Christ to do that which is right in the days in which we live. God has placed that obligation upon us all. For this is written to every believer that with confidence and assurance they may stand before God and not be ashamed that has come. I know that God would help us all to live our lives with a right view of him. That God would help us to live our lives positively responding to the exhortation to draw nigh unto him. To hold fast that which he has revealed and taught to us. To consider one another. To provoke positively. And that we would not forsake the pure hearted gathering of ourselves together. His name. I pray that God would help us all, that God would enable us all, and that each one of us would rise to our responsibility to exhort and to encourage one another to do exactly that. And may God be glorified in this place as we live out this truth. Father, we pray that thou would bless us, and that thou would cement thy word deep into our hearts. That we would be ready for the day of thy coming or calling. And we pray that on that day, that we would not be ashamed. But oh, oh Lord, that we would bask in the light of thy glory. And rejoice in the beauty of thy presence. Knowing that we have run the race. Knowing that we have kept the faith knowing that we have heeded the command. God help us all. Depart us now with thy blessing and continue with us throughout this day.
May we live for Thee. May we glorify Thee. And may we glory in Thee. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you go. Sir!